Tonight, we get to look at, um, uh, we can have joy because God has redeemed us. Joy because God has redeemed us. We're going to look at two passages. One is a non-traditional Christmas passage. The other one is a traditional Christmas passage. So we're going to start with Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And the Apostle Paul writes this. But when the set time, say set time. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. Say redeem. redeem. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Well, let's look at this word redemption here. What does redemption mean? Redemption means, when you boil it down, to pay a price. To pay a price in order to secure the release of someone or something. So there has to be a price that's paid in order for there to be a release of something. And uh, for example, in the Old Testament, the priests would go and offer sacrifices on behalf of all the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. But the sacrifices they offered in the Old Testament didn't fully redeem everyone. It didn't fully take the guilt away. It, 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 it was lacking something. And, and that something is what we see in the New Testament. Because when the New Testament comes around, we see Jesus who was born. We see that he lived this perfect life. And it was because of the cross that he paid the price for our sins. Now keep that in mind. He paid the cost of our sins. He took sin upon himself on the cross. And when he did that, he redeemed us. That means we could be renewed. That means we could have a fresh start. That, that, that means God has given us more than we possibly could ever imagine. So Jesus paid the price for us on the cross so that we could be redeemed. That means we're going to be with Jesus forever. But you want to know what it also means? He could redeem us now in our present. So we're talking about Christmas unboxed. And I thought I'd unbox our Christmas gift for tonight a little early, and which present am I going to open today? Because they are all, all filled with gifts, of course, gold gold bars and things like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, let me get the one that's different from all the others. There we go. All right, this is a gift for you. everyone ready for this. Okay, hold on. I got to get something here. All right, hold on. There we go. All right. So. In this box, we have Coca-Cola. How many of you like Coca-Cola? Yeah, yeah. All right, if you're nice to me, and I might give you one afterwards, but I need them for, you know, Sunday as well. Um, <laughs> so I can't give you all of them. So here we go. We got... You will never look at Coca-Cola the same. Do I have enough? You can never have enough Coca-Cola. I'm just kidding. Um, maybe I'm not. So, um, so... Hold on. 
Oh, you hear that? All right. Hold on a second. Let me just taste it. Mmm. Mmm. This is good. I'm going to save some for later. Woo, man. Man, this is good and refreshing. Mmm. How many of you can't drink Coca-Cola anymore, and right now you hate me? <laughs> so, so as I look at this bottle, right, or as I look at this uh, empty can here that I drank earlier as well, I consume a lot of caffeine. That explains my loudness and everything else. So um, uh, uh, as I look at this, I go, oh, <laughs> there's not really much value in this anymore because there's no Coca-Cola in the bottle and there's no Coca-Cola in, in the can, as I think about this, sometimes we might feel, in, in, in a sense, like this empty bottle or like this empty can, or if this can was crushed, we might feel like this crushed can, meaning life maybe has kicked us down. Maybe we feel crushed by life's pressures. Maybe we feel crushed because there's been some type of hurt or abuse in our lives, and we feel like the weight of the world has just kind of crushed our spirit, crushed our soul. Or we might be like an empty bottle where we feel like we have nothing left to give. And we go, well, what's the point? I have nothing left to give. I've been hurt. I've been, I've been, I've been damaged. I've been this, and I, and I don't have anything left to give. But as I look at this, I don't know if you know this, but if you, if you look here, it says redeem. You could redeem this. Did you know in some states for five cents, other states ten cents. So this bottle here, it has inherent value. It's the same thing with this can. I could go and redeem this can for five cents or whatever it is. Why? Because it has value. That's what redemption is. Redemption is this bottle, even though it doesn't have soda in it, still has value. This can, even though it doesn't have soda in it, still has value. Why? Because there is a redemption value to it. Now, I, I bring up all this, you know, it's a fun little illustration to, to make the point of redemption is this, is that if we've been crushed by life, if we've been tackled by life, if we feel like we have nothing to offer, if we feel like we're past our prime, we got to understand something, that God can still redeem us in our present. He redeems us ultimately, that we're going to be with him for all eternity. That's, that's the ultimate promise of redemption. But he offers us redemption now. If you're, you're hurting, you're broken, you feel like you have nothing to offer, understand what redemption is. Redemption is that Jesus paid the price so that you can have life and life to the fullest. Amen? So that's the exciting part about redemption is that we're never too far gone. And, and, and even the hurt and pain in our lives that we all have suffered, God can work in our soul to bring us redemption, to bring us healing. He is the great physician who wants to do these great things in our lives. So, the next time you have a soda, you just say, oh, Lord, thank you that I am redeemed. It's like a Coca-Cola commercial up here. <laughs> yeah, by the way, they paid me $1,000 to do this. Uh, but I tied off. It just came. They didn't pay me anything. <laughs> Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Let's read it again. And another thing about redemption is this. Redemption brings us joy. 
Because redemption doesn't come and go. We're redeemed. Why? Because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is permanent. And because it's permanent, redemption is permanent. And that's why we can have joy in redemption. So Galatians 4, 4 to 7, here we go. Um, I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to look at some of these phrases here. Verse 4. But when the set time, say set time, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, say redeem, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption, say adoption, to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Galatians 4, 4 to 7, in the right time. This, this phrase here can mean a number of different things. The early Christian apologists, like in the 4th and 3rd and even 2nd century, thought that this phrase had to do with the, with the, Pax, the Pax Romana, meaning peace in Rome. That when there would be peace in Rome, that would be the right time. That would be the set time. Then there's other theologians that said, no, it's not, it has nothing to do with peace in Rome. Other theologians said it had to do with the fact that, that God knew what was going to happen. And, and whether he orchestrated certain kings to do certain things or whether he just knew it was going to happen, God used events in our world to bring the coming of Jesus. Here's what I mean. In the book of Daniel, it's a fantastic book. That's just, you read it and you're like, whoa, does it really say that? Yeah, it really says that. For example, Daniel chapter 11, verses 2 to 4. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia. Say three. three. And then a fourth. Say fourth. Who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then... A mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. Say four winds of heaven. Say four winds. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Let me just give you the cliff notes of this passage here. The three kings he's referring to are right up here. And, and look at the, the dates of when they're here. And notice I just said the three kings are up there because I don't want to try to pronounce their names. <laughs> My historian friends would be like, oh, he messed up that name. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> the Hawaiian was hard. I'm telling you, that's hard. So these are the three kings that are up there. Look at the dates and the times of when they were there. Then the fourth king, the fourth king was King Xerxes. Then the mighty king is Alexander the Great. Everyone remember Alexander the Great in school or maybe from the movies? <laughs> There's like a thousand movies made about him. Alexander the Great was a young king. He conquered pretty much most of the known world at the time before Jesus came. And here's what was fascinating about Alexander the Great. When he conquered nations, he would set up schools, education centers, and teach them a common language, Koine Greek, common which is Koine, common Greek. So when he would conquer one nation, they all would learn Greek. So they would know their, their native language, but they also would learn uh, Koine Greek, hence the New Testament written in 
Koine Greek. And he'd go from nation to nation to nation to nation, conquering them, and then set up these, these, these education facilities, you know, schools and colleges, you know, the whole nine yards. Also what he would do is he'd set up these universal roadways. He'd conquer one nation, set up universal roadways, helping with the expansion of Christianity in the early days because you had universal roadways. So you may remember what happened to Alexander the Great. He died a young age, and the kingdom was divided into four sections. Isn't it pretty amazing when the Bible talks about future events, how accurate it is? Like maybe 100%. <laughs> pretty cool. So, so here we have in Daniel talking about events that are going to happen that haven't happened yet, and, 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 and it happens. And, and, and so the, the point about timing, when, you know, when, when the set time has come, it, it, whether it's about the setting and the history, you know, in terms of like peace and Rome, everything's, you know, copacetic, or whether it's about God working in history, it's all one and the same because God knows what he's doing. God is, is in charge, and, 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 and the beauty about all of this is that however it all worked out, however God orchestrated it, however it all panned out, God did it because he loves us. God did it because he loves you and he loves me. At the right time, at the set time, he sent us Jesus. And this is the season we celebrate Jesus, who was born and loves us and died for us. So at the right time, Jesus came. And when Jesus came, the Hebrew law was in full effect. The very first law, you know what the first law was? Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the tree in the middle, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. Then later on, Mount Sinai, Moses Goes to Mount Sinai, goes up the mountain for a while, and he comes down with ten commandments. Okay, you got ten laws now. Then by the time you read the the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, you have 613 Old Testament laws. 613 things you had to do or don't do. Things you had to eat or not eat. Things you had to wash or not wash. 613 of them. And, and, And with this idea of the law is that nobody could follow it perfectly. In fact, James writes in James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law... And yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So what we see here in Galatians is that Jesus came to set us free from the law. Jesus came to set us free from the law. And Jesus was born willingly. Jesus died for us willingly because of the love he has for us. He wanted to redeem us from the law. He wanted to redeem us from the chains. He wanted to redeem us from the hurt. He wanted to redeem us from the brokenness. And he did it willingly. And so let's read the account of Jesus and how he was born. And and I thought, you know, let's read Luke chapter 2. And let me just read 20 verses. I know it's kind of a lot. Normally it's a lot in one setting, especially in a setting like this. But it's Christmas time. Let's read Luke 2, which is the classic Christmas story that, that happened. Jesus coming for us. And so uh, if you want to close your eyes as I read it and just kind of like imagine these, you know, what's happening. Or if you want to focus on this, whatever it is that you need to do 
to really let the words of Scripture soak into your soul, to your heart. Let, you know, ask God to just speak to you through, through his Scripture. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own hometown to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there is no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. For all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, the birth of Jesus is about us and how much he loves us. That he would come to die. He would be born for us, knowing that he would go to his death to redeem us of our sins. To redeem us from the law. And you know what else we, we, we see in this passage in Scripture is that, that because he redeemed us, he also gives us so many gifts. He has given us the gift of eternal life. He has given us the gift to be part of his family. We are part of the family of Jesus. We are all part of God's family. And he has given us the right to be called an heir. Remember, in the right time, Jesus came in order that we can be redeemed from the law and be heirs of God. So Jesus came so we could be an heir of the Lord. You think about an heir. An heir is someone who's going to take over, someone who could have the inheritance. So you think of a, of a servant versus a son or daughter. So you have a servant on one side. A servant is there to work and, and, and do the things that, that, that um, uh, the, the master tells them to do. Like that's what a servant does. But if you're a son or a daughter, you're, you're treated better than a servant. And 
you have an inheritance. A servant over here doesn't have an inheritance. But if you're a son or daughter, you have an inheritance. And we're told that, that we are heirs because of what Jesus has done for us. So in other words, when we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he died, that he rose again, he redeems us from the law and he allows us and, and, and invites us to become sons and daughters. And he says, I have an inheritance for you. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And in Galatians, we, we learn something very fascinating. That in the right time, because Jesus came, he allows us to be an heir, allows us to have this inheritance with the Lord, eternal life with him. But you know what also we're allowed to do and enter in? Into this deep, intimate relationship with the Father. There's this word in Aramaic, Abba. Abba is like saying daddy or papa or whatever it is that is so such a touching, endearing term. Like the only ones that call me daddy are my three girls. It's daddy. Why? Because we have that intimate relationship. I love them so much. I would do anything for them, and they could call me that. No one else is calling me daddy. <laughs> that would just be weird. <laughs> and... And, and, and so the beauty of Abba, Father, is because Jesus came at the right time. Because of Christmas, he was born. And he died and he rose again. We are part of his family and we could say to God, Abba, Father. You know what that implies? He wants a relationship with us. He wants to know you. He wants to know me. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to listen to his voice. He wants us to get to know him in his word. He wants us to just be silent in his presence and say, God, speak to me. He wants all of us. What a beautiful expression for all of us during this Christmas season. If we would slow down, like we talked a little bit last week, and say, Lord, what are you telling me? What are you telling me, Lord? As the band comes, I want to finish by saying this. Because of the cross, Jesus has redeemed us. And, and I want to emphasize that he has redeemed us in the future. Because we'll have eternal life with the Lord. He has redeemed us in the future, but he also can redeem us now. The brokenness in your heart, the hurt in your heart, the sadness in your lives, whatever it is, he can redeem all of us because of that. He could redeem us from that hurt because he has conquered the grave. And it's not going to be easy. It's not like it's one simple prayer and we're redeemed from all of our hurts. No, it might be a process for a lot of us. But the promise is this, he can and wants to redeem us. And we have got to do our part. The brokenness in our lives, Jesus can redeem we are loved, we are valued, and we are worth everything to Jesus. And the beauty is, you and I can have joy in our Savior because we are redeemed by Him. Amen.
Let's stand together.